Well, you guys can have a seat. You turn to John chapter 1, please. And Ron, can you start that timer? I know some people want to get out of here today, even if I'm, I'm good with staying all day. Bill's back, so he's going to keep me accountable for my time. All right. So, why do you guys applaud that? That's not good. All right. All right. I hope they're applauding that Bill is back and not applauding that it's going to be shorter. All right. So I'm not going to take that personal at all. All right. Here is our Christmas season. I know we just said this is the first week of Advent. Technically, it's not the first week of Advent. Advent. It's the second week, right? It is our first week, however, which makes it all okay. If you're unfamiliar, Advent is the season in the church calendar where we celebrate kind of the coming of Christ. The Advent of Christ is the coming of Christ into humanity, the incarnation of Christ. And so we celebrate that. It's kind of a way of preparing ourselves each week for Christmas. Now, this might sound a little counterintuitive, but uh, as you all know, this is going to be a really busy season. I think between the craziness of the last couple years and, and just the, the normalcy of Christmas being busy, uh, it's going to be a busy season. And, and often in the church, even though we know Christmas is about the incarnation of Christ, the Christ becoming flesh, that's what incarnation means, or the birth of Jesus, Sometimes in all the busyness about celebrating Christmas, we miss Christ in Christmas, right? It's easy to do. It's easy to get caught up in the stuff, the shopping, the parties, the meals, the family, the things, even the services. But we want to continue to focus on Jesus this season. And so we're going to do something unique this year. And rather than focus on the how, which is typically what we talk about, how did Jesus become Flesh. How, how did Jesus enter into this earth? We're going to talk more about why. It's a common struggle I've kind of felt each year that it's hard to just stay in the Christmas narrative, in the birth narrative. It's hard not to kind of understand it throughout the scope of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, right? And what I found is, come to find out, the gospel authors wrestle with that too. So I feel like I'm in good company at least, right? So here's what we're going to do this year. We're going to sing a song. It'll be right after the message during communion. It's a song called, Who Is This? And this will be kind of our theme song this year. And it asks the question of who is this? It's actually the full title is, Who Is This? So Weak and Helpless. It was written uh, in the late 1800s by William Walsham Howe. It's an old traditional hymn. He wrote the lyrics. Another person wrote the music. And it is a lesser known kind of Christmas hymn. But it asks the question, who is this, and then answers it all throughout. But it goes throughout the life of Christ, even the death and suffering of Jesus. And so sometimes we don't think about that in the Christmas message. But this year, we want to talk about why did Jesus become flesh? So who is this? Here's the verse we're going to look at this week. We'll do a verse each week. By the way, if you listen to our podcast, we're going to do some of the other verses on the weeks that we're not, on, on, on the verses that we don't cover on Sundays, we're going to cover in a podcast. Love to share that with you. But here's the verse this week. Who is this, right? So, tis the Lord of all creation who this wondrous path has trod. He is God from everlasting and to everlasting God. Who is this, this child in the manger, right? Who is this Jesus that we celebrate? He is God from everlasting and to everlasting God, right? This is the Lord of creation, the God of creation, 
That's the part of this verse in this song that we will sing today, a song that we will sing each week, kind of a theme song for this Advent. So here's a, a main idea for today. Jesus, creator, eternal God. Jesus is far more than a baby in a manger or a man on a cross. Eternal, with no beginning or end, he is the God of creation come to save us from our sin. Right? He is eternal. He is creator. He is God. John chapter 1, let's start in verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, here's what I want you to do today. I want you to pretend you know nothing about Jesus. And if you're here and you know nothing about Jesus, good. We'll start there, right? For the rest of us, I want to kind of put down our preconceived notions. That doesn't mean they're wrong, right? I'm not saying, hey, let's kind of recreate this. I just want to look as if it's new to us. What does scripture teach us today, right? So in the beginning was the word. And now if you've ever thought about Jesus and heard, okay, we know he's eternal. And now eternal, not meaning live forever like us, that we will live eternally, but eternal having no beginning, no end. Well, if you think about that for long enough, you're kind of like, okay, now wait a minute. Then before Christmas, maybe where was Jesus? Like before the New Testament, where was Jesus? Now, if you've been around for a while here at Generations, we talk about this a lot, and we answer some of that, especially last year, as we spent the whole year in the Old Testament, right? Pointing out, showing how Jesus appears throughout this. In every book, the hero of the story is Jesus, right? As God points forward to redemption in Christ, he's the hero of the story. So John's gospel helps us answer that question, where is Jesus before he becomes incarnate or before he is born in the manger, right? Let's reread verse one again. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. I know that can read a little confusing. Well, how can this be with God and also be God, be distinct from God and yet also be fully God? Like that's hard to wrap our heads around, right? But it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word there in Greek is logos. It's uh, there's a difference. Let's just say this. There's a difference between this, the Bible, what do we call this? The Word of God, right? This is the written Word of God, which is really an account of the things that God said with words, right? He also said through people, said through stories, through the account of history. And so this is God's Word, but it's God's Word written down for us in written form. Does that make sense? right? So the difference, I, I wrote a book, it's out there, if you want a copy, we can get you a copy, but I also am talking to you today, right? And, and that book, in fact, began as a sermon series, and so it began a spoken word that ended up being captured and written down and edited and kind of tweaked for a book, same idea, right? In the beginning was the word, the very word of God. John Calvin defines this logos as the thought, intention, and speech of God. That's a, a good definition, but it's, it's also not complete even by this verse, right? That it is the thoughts or the intentions or the speech, but it is also God himself, right? Distinct from God the Father, but also fully, truly God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. So, there's a repetition here about him being in the beginning. This is that eternal part. No beginning, no end, 
right? The, the, the doctrine we call the doctrine of aseity, that God is self-existent, right? That God is fully self-existent, uncreated, needs nothing to exist. In fact, God is the one who provides existence for everything else, provides life for us. God has no beginning, right? No starting point, uncreated. When we say that, we know that. We know that about God. We believe that about God. But now, John, the author of our gospel, is reminding us this is also true of Jesus, right? Jesus isn't, something, isn't someone who started 2,000 years ago in this cute little manger, right? Jesus is eternal God, no beginning, uncreated, always has been, self-existent God, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is calling him the Word of God. But then in verse 2, John kind of pivots a little and says, he was in the beginning with God. Now, this Word of God has taken on personhood. It, he's a he, not an it, right? That the Word is not a thing, it's a person, it's he, it's God. It is God, and yet separate from God, and yet fully also divinely with God. And so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So I want to keep like a mental list today. Okay, what are we learning? We start from a blank slate, kind of got a notepad, and we're like, okay, what are we learning? What is John teaching us about Jesus? Well, here's just a quick list, right? Eternal Word of God and God, right? He, he's a person, he is separate from God, and yet he is fully God. Now, that doesn't mean, okay, all that just made sense. You're like, got it. Got it handled. It's a starting point. Pretend you know nothing, right? Right now, you might feel like you know nothing. That's okay, right? What does the Bible teach us about this child to be born 2,000 years ago? Right? Where does John start his gospel? Right here. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. So he, this Word of God, who is God and yet somehow distinct from God the Father, is also creator involved in the making of all creation. Right, so we go back to, okay, no beginning, self-existent, always has been he, this eternal person of God, also involved in creation. So I want to read you two verses. One's Genesis 1. It says this, then God said, okay? So I want you to think through that. We'll put that up. Then God said. So when we talk about the word of God, remember, we don't mean written word. We mean spoken word. This is the creation of humanity. And what does God begin with? Speech, right? Words. So here's Jesus in this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Notice the plural, right? And again, Israel had to wrestle with this as they learned about God, as God disclosed himself to them, because the Shema, the words that they were taught to say, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and yet our, right? And there's a difference between God and humanity, right? We think in human terms, like one or two or three, but they're separate, right? But God is not separate. He is one God, described and revealed in three persons, right? Speaking here life into existence, saying our. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, 
So God creates man, meaning humanity in that case. In his image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So humanity is created by God's speech, right? But it doesn't stop there. As we get the zoomed in view in the next chapter, Genesis 2 says this. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. That word breathed and that word breath is the same word they use for spirit, right? In Greek and in Hebrew, and this almost never happens that the two languages have the same thing in them, but in both languages, the word for breath or wind or spirit is the same word. Here's what happens. God speaks. The word helps create, make humanity. And then God exhales life into you and I, into humanity, into our origins, but not just life, spiritual life. Like the spirit is exhaled from God and the Holy Spirit gives life to humanity that God has also spoken, formed, and created into existence. There's this beautiful imagery where Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God the Father all invested in the creation and giving of life to humanity from the very speech used to the very breath or spirit exhaled from God into humanity. So here's a note for you, humanity's design. The love of God the Father created humanity through the word Jesus and given life by God's own breath, Holy Spirit. That is how God designed you. You should hear that today, that that is how intimately God created you, right? Humanity is made in this way. Light was not created that way. Light was spoken into existence. That's it. Animals were not created that way. They were spoken into existence, right? God speaks from nothing, creates them by his speech. But then the story pivots when it gets to humanity. That humanity is created uniquely, divinely, not to be divine, but by the divine God, the only God, who is eternally self-existence, one God, yet in three persons revealing himself to us. See, it's that part of the gospel that begins with how much God loves us and how God designed us that reminds us that we are so far away from that design, right? That we all know the story that humanity sins and, and breaks that and separates that spiritual connection between God, the creator, and humanity, the creation, and that because of that, we are eternally separated from God. But God in his love, who, God who loved us so much that this intimacy was used in creation, that God who loves us couldn't let that be the last word. It would be right or just if God said, you chose this, live it out, right? Take the penalty for your decision. But God in grace, God in mercy, God in love does not let it end there. The Christmas story begins back with creation and the brokenness of humanity, how we came in and destroyed how God created us to be. And that in that brokenness, God proclaims his love for us. And then he decides, I will also, I will send Jesus to reconcile humanity, right? To redeem humanity. Pastor Stephen and I, we did the first Advent episode of the podcast. It dropped, I think, Friday. And that's part of what we talk about, how 
the Christmas story can't just begin 2,000 years ago, either with an angel speaking to Mary or something. It has to begin all the way back in Genesis when sin enters into human history and God proclaims Christ to come. That that story begins there. That the story doesn't begin 2,000 years ago. And when we isolate it to this narrative that exists in Luke 2, which is the common one, right? That we kind of, we miss some of the point. And when we commercialize it or even sanitize it and make it this clean story that's, that's cute but incomplete, we miss the point. Right? If we see Jesus, this cute little baby in a manger scene that's all cute with the animals all around that, we miss the idea that he was pushed out and had no room, had no place, and he really give, that really Mary gives birth in a stable, probably a cave where animals slept and ate and did whatever else comes along with that. It's not that cute. It's definitely not clean. And when we think of the creator, God, who is eternally self-existent, who created humanity, and we look down at humanity so far in the future, just rejecting and pushing him to the margins, then we look at how far we have fallen. We look at how deep sin is. And the Christmas story is the culmination of that and the solution for that, that Jesus would come and live the life that you and I are called to live, but have not, and then die a death in our place. The very Jesus, the word of God, the self-existent, eternal God, who created life with word, would somehow give his life on a cross. Not sure how someone who is the actual subsistence of life, the giver of life, how, how, how he can also die but he gives his life for us. That's the gospel message, that we will respond to that, that we can live inside that, and that all the brokenness back here that happened when people before us sinned, and then when we sin, all the brokenness can be redeemed, not just by a savior born 2,000 years ago, but by the very creator who created us anyways, giving his life for us. That's the gospel message. And so how can we contain that in an event that takes place in, in a short span of time over a couple, three years without including the rest of the story? So that song says, who is this? This child, weak and weary, born in a manger. Well, the answer is the promise from all eternity, the creator God, born in human flesh, the man of sorrows, the verse we covered last week in our podcast. All these things must be included in the story. Verse 4 says, in him was life, and life was the light of men. Right? So even becoming our Savior and dying on a cross and resurrecting from a grave, Jesus was the very life of humanity, the very light that leads our way. Right? So if we're keeping those mental notes in our house, in, 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 our, in our minds, right? kind of housing them in our head, God, creator, eternal, Light, life. I was thinking about this, and I, I went through this season. It was back in our house in Huntington, so it was just a few years ago. And we were, our power went out a few times. And, and I, I remember this first time it went out, it was, it was nighttime, and, and everything was incredibly dark. And I, and I realized for the first time how many things I have that have lights on them, right? Everything from like DVRs and clocks and all these things that have little lights, but also like my Keurig thing has this kind of backlighting to it and, and all these things that, 
that kind of shine the way so that when all the quote-unquote lights are out, it's still pretty well lit as I walk through the house, right? Then the power shut out, and I was like kicking furniture that I can normally walk through at night and be fine, just disoriented. When I hear Jesus is the light, the one that guides the way in humanity, I think of that absence, and I think of that stumbling, and I think of the pain of kicking that stupid piece of furniture. I'm not bitter at all, but we, got, we burned that thing to the ground. No, I'm kidding. Anyhow, we still have the furniture. But I think of the world and how broken the world is and how absent the world is from the light of life that is Jesus. Right? Not just the world, those people out there, but I mean us. Absent of Christ, how dark the world can be. Verse 5, it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Right? The light shines in the darkness. This is John's metaphor reminding us that Jesus shines into a dark world. Right? And the darkness could not overcome it. So here, John fast forwards. He goes from creation past the birth narrative, and he gets all the way into Jesus' life. And he reminds us that, that darkness, Satan, evil could not overcome him, right? Even John here wrestles with, like, this isn't one linear story that's just easy. We, like, here it is in the beginning, and here's the telling of the, the virgin birth, and then here's the birth, and then here's what happens here. He's like, but, but this is the light so bright that Satan couldn't even overcome him when he was in the flesh, right? It, he fast forwards to that moment where Jesus is victorious, whether that be fasting out in the wilderness and being tempted by Satan or being betrayed by his closest friends and still giving his life by, by being scourged and beaten and crucified that he never gave up. He was never overcome. He continued to shine as a light in the world. John can't contain himself to the, just the beginning or the start, he has to include both the past and the future to remind us of who this child is. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this is John the Baptist, not John the Apostle or author. This is John the Baptist. And why John is important is that the Bible, at the end of the Old Testament, kind of where we just left off in Nehemiah, it's right around 400 years before Christ is born. And God stops speaking through prophets God stops speaking to the people, and there's this season where it just goes quiet. And God had said, listen, it's going to go silent for a season, and then I'm going to have a voice break through the silence, and that voice will point to the Messiah, the, the Christ, the promises that I've made. All of God's promise point forward to a person who will fulfill those promises, the Christ or the Messiah. Christ is the Greek word, Messiah, the Hebrew word, same thing, meaning the fulfillment of God's promises. So he says, I'm going to go quiet. And when the time is right, I'm going to break through the silence with a prophet. And that prophet will point to the Messiah. Verse 7, he, meaning John, came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He says, John the Baptist is that prophet that breaks 400 years of silence, that speaks through the quiet that God uses to bear witness to Jesus coming into human flesh. Verse 8, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. 
One of the things that I like each year when we decorate is lights, whether it be like these lanterns and candles or even the lights around the drum kit, that light is just symbolic of Christmas for me. Like there's so much there, right, that the light, Jesus, became human. It just reminds us of light shining in the darkness that can't be overcome, that there is this guiding light that has been lighting the way for humanity since creation, even when humanity doesn't see him or doesn't look or doesn't recognize that Jesus is there and that that same, very same God who created light, who shines, the word of God becomes flesh. That I love the imagery around Christmas. And that's why we do a candlelight service, and we will on Christmas Eve. We'll do that candlelight service reminding us of who became a child. Not just how, but who, and more importantly, probably why. Why Jesus became human. Verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. There's a biblical or theological Christmas narrative sentence right there. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That's the Christmas story from a kind of a theological perspective. The true light, God himself, who created, who gives life, who is eternal, who loves us, was coming into the world, right? Into a world he, he had already been in, but is entering into the world in a new way. See, Jesus has been in the world the whole time. Jesus created the world and gave life to the world and gave life to us. Jesus has been there all along, but he was coming into the world now in human flesh, becoming one of us. An ancient, ancient church father said this, that he became like us so that we could become like him, right? That he entered into the world, meaning he became like us. He was born in human flesh, fully God still, and yet somehow fully human. He became like us so that we could become like him, reconnected to God, our father. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So it circles back again. Remember, Jesus wasn't created on Christmas. Jesus didn't begin 2,000 years ago as he takes breath in a manger. He was already in the world, but the world didn't know him. And because of that, he is entering into the world in a new way to reveal himself to, to us, to the world. To shine that light, to reveal God to others, to reveal God to us to bring salvation to the world. Verse 11, he came to his own and his people did not receive him. Again, G, uh, uh, John, our author, can't kind of maintain, let me just tell you about how he was born. He can't do that apart from what happens before and, and, and what happens after. He said he came to his own, he came to the nation of Israel, he came to the Jewish people, but they rejected him. They crucified him. See, John is writing after all of this has taken place, and he's like, listen, he came here, but was rejected. Not only had he been rejected, not only had God been rejected since sin entered into human history, but as Jesus became human, became flesh, lived among us, God became flesh. He came to the people that were given the promises, the promise that God would redeem them through through a person, the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ. And so he came to the people that, that God had made the promises to, but they rejected him. They crucified him. They killed him. And we reject him. 
We reject him when we sin. We reject him when we go our own way. We, we reject him when we don't follow him. We reject him in little ways and in big ways. Sometimes we just reject Jesus outright. Humanity just says no. But what we need to hear as followers of Jesus, we too reject Jesus. Again, we reject him. We don't follow everything he's called us to. We all do that. We reject him when we choose things above him and place other things in front of him. Verse 12, but to all. So yes, the world reject him, but in fact, the people he came to reject him, but it says, verse 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God, to all who did receive him. John would say today, but to all who do receive him, to all who welcome their, him into their lives as their savior, as their God, to all who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. But listen to verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. To all who believe him, who believe in his name, Jesus gives the right to become children of God, but not children born of flesh, but born of God. See, this comment about salvation is something we need to hear that we need to be reborn, not just relabeled. Now, here's what I mean. We need to be made brand new, not just call ourselves or identify ourselves by a new title, slogan, affiliation. It's not like changing political parties when you become a Christian. It means you must be reborn, that you are made new, that you go from death to life, says Paul to the letter to the Ephesians, right? That you are transformed, that the very breath, the spirit of God that was exhaled into humanity, the spiritual life of humanity that was given away, that was lost in sin, is given back. Not a human birth, he says, but a spiritual birth by God. That you enter into a new family. You are redefined by this. You are empowered. You are given new life. Why is it that so many today who proclaim that they're followers of this Jesus Lives are not transformed. That is not the gospel. The gospel is a message of change, of transformation, not of just taking on a label. That our lives would become defined by Jesus. That Jesus becomes the one, only priority, and everything else must flow out of that. We were talking about this earlier this week. We were talking about assessing church planters and pastors. And in Acts 29, our church planting network, the network that we're a part of, we use the language of Christian husband, father, pastor, or Christian husband, father, planter, right? That our first and primary calling is to follow Jesus, right? That we're Christians. By, by that title, we follow Christ. We define our lives by Jesus, his work, his life and death and resurrection, his calling, his mission, that we orient ourselves to Jesus. And then after that, if we're married, we're husbands or we're wives, Right? After that, the next priority, if we're parents, then we're parents, fathers, and, and mothers, right? And then after that comes ministry or work or vocation or goals or whatever. That those are the things and that that's the, that's the, the order that things go in. That we are that. That we will orient ourselves around Christ, will transform us. It will make us new. And the power of the Spirit, the, the regenerating work of the gospel transforms us. It's not a maybe, it's a must be. That we're not just relabeled, but we are reborn. 
Here's a note for you. Given life by Jesus, Christians regenerated, baptized, and redeemed, you are made new. You are reborn by the Spirit, not just relabeled a Christian. You've been given life. You've been given spiritual life. You've been given a new life. And with that new life comes an expectation that you live that new life. But if that new life is not in you, you've got to ask, well, where am I, am I really truly following Jesus? Because Jesus transforms us, gives us new life. Verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This sentence right here was the most powerfully, well, how do I say it? This verse right here contributed to the first 300 years of theology more than any other verse in Scripture. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This line right here in Scripture for the first 300 years of the church would shape theology. It would be the thing that was talked about the most. Who is this eternal word, God, creator, who became human, both God and yet somehow the son of God, full of grace and truth, the the actual savior, and he dwelt among us. He lived here among us. That verse right there reminds us that God became flesh. It wasn't a child born in a manger that begins 2,000 years ago. It's God entering into our story, entering, entering into our flesh, our life, our world in a unique way in human flesh, fully God and yet fully human. He had been here. He had made here for that matter. But he enters in here to reconcile us to God. So I said, let's keep this mental note. Let's, let's kind of think through this. Okay, so who is this Jesus, right? Who is this eternal word of God and God? He is a person who is separately God and yet fully one with God. He's creator. He's the life of humanity. He's the light that is shining in the darkness. He's light that's shining in this world and evil can't overcome. The darkness can't overcome the light. He is victorious, and yet he becomes flesh, he becomes human, and in that word right there, becomes flesh or incarnation, he becomes human. Here's what I want you to hear today. I want you to think of all those things we just learned about Jesus and how he had to lay those down to become flesh. How he had to lay down his eternal, divine, creator, Godness, if you will. His being everywhere and speaking life. His home in eternity, his home in heaven, his divine position, how he laid that down to put on human skin. How the light who could not be overcome became a frail child in a human form, in a human body, a human being. How our Savior, the promise of thousands of years of Scripture from God himself, was born a child. How he laid all that down for you and for me. See, we think of the story, and it's cute. And we prop up the story. And we make these manger scenes that are so 
adorable that you want to be in there. And you see the shepherds and you see the cute little lamb and the camel and the magi that bring gifts. What you miss in the center of that story, that little child, the thing with the least form to it is the creator of everything limited to human flesh. That God himself, Jesus, the son of God, God, the second person of the Trinity would lay down that much for you. That he would then live a life that was completely uncomfortable as an understatement. Where he would be hungry, he would, he would be angry, he would be persecuted, he would be betrayed, he would be tempted directly from Satan, He'd be, he would be just pushed away by his own people that he came to save, that he would then go and take one of the most violent deaths ever known in human history and take that for us. That the creator would die. That he would lay down all that it is to be God and limit himself in not just in human form, but in, in, in the weakest of human forms. He didn't come as Julius Caesar. He didn't come as Herod. He didn't come as king. He didn't come as a billionaire. He came as a broke peasant child on the run because right from his birth, they were trying to kill him. That's what Jesus gave for you and for me. And he did so not that we could have a label to put on us, an affiliation to be a part of, but rather that our lives would be transformed by that fact. That he gave everything to become like us so that we could in turn give our lives to become like him. And that is the start of the Christmas story that the eternal God became flesh and dwelt among us. And John says this, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you gave everything. We think of that on the cross. But Jesus, you gave everything from the beginning. You gave more in the incarnation maybe than you did on the cross. That you laid down the beauty, your divinity, what it means to be seated on the throne day after day after day to become weak and helpless as a child, dependent upon human parents, entered into poverty, entered into a world hostile to you, on the run from those who would kill you from the beginning. Let that sit in, Jesus. Let that soak into our lives this Christmas. Forgive us when we see the Christmas story and we think, oh, how cute, how amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And the ones we make are cute, but the story, the story is deep. The story is painful. The story is filled with you giving up all that you deserve to have and to be. You surrendering because you want to win us back to the Father. Help us to to understand that and to embrace that this season, to learn from that. Jesus, today as we take communion, as we come forward, those who are Christians come forward, those who profess you will come forward and and take a a part of your body, the cracker that represents your body and, and a cup 
that represents your blood shed for us, that we will remember that the Christmas story leads to that. That your humbling, condescending to humanity ends on a cross, giving your life for us. Let us come to the end of ourselves today. Let us give ourselves fully and wholly to you. For those who are here who don't know you, draw them to you. Allow us to pray with them, talk with them. For those who are here, followers of yours, who are struggling, draw them to you today. May what you have laid down to become flesh, may that draw us in. May we see your love in that. May we see the sacrifice in the incarnation, not just in the crucifixion. Let your grace wash over us as we celebrate your broken body, your shed blood to cover our sin. Help us to remember that the Christmas story can't be separate from that because that is the point. So Jesus, we love you. We pray these things in your name.